tonight on kickoff here on Talksport, we will be sharing the experiences of being in a professional football academy. Have you ever been in a player in an academy? Tell us what it was like. Has your child been in one or are they currently in an academy? For many people, it is make or break. But how was it for you? 03717 We will hear some amazing tales and stories of both the highs and lows in making it in professional football in England. This is Kickoff. Get involved. You can also drop us a text on 81089. You can tweet us at Talksport KO. I am Hugh Wisencroft on kickoff with you tonight on Talksport, and we are joined by the former Arsenal and England striker Leanne Sanderson and the head of player engagement at Kick It Out, Troy Townsend. How are you both? Good evening. Feeling good? Yeah, I'm good. I'm looking forward to this. Good, good. There's plenty for us to discuss tonight. In the final hour, after nine o'clock, we will discuss the day's sports news with some big appointments in football. (laughs) We'll get into the detail of that. But for the first two hours, we will be reflecting on a fantastic three-part series that you, Troy, have made uh, with us here and unedited the production team there. It was all a dream. The Football Academy journey. Three fantastic episodes. The likes of Ben White, Eberichi Eze, Andrew Robertson. You'll hear from Chris Ramsey, Les Ferdinand, Stephen Colker. Many, many more sharing their stories of the Football Academy journey. And as I say, the highs, the lows, the good the bad, all of it, including a discussion as well with parents. And we will speak to a parent live uh, this evening about the experience of putting your child through a professional football academy. But if it has happened to you and you want to tell us all about it, Get in touch with the show tonight. We don't want to hear the name of the club. We don't want to hear the name of your child. Everything can be anonymous. We don't even need to know your name. But we would love to hear your experiences. 03717 It's a three-part series available now. It was all a dream, the Football Academy journey. You can get it on the game day feed or wherever you get your podcast from. Um, listen, Troy, I've got to start with you. Tell us why you decided to, to make this documentary. Yeah, um... Because I don't think the journey has been detailed in the manner in which we've done in the documentary, so every element that goes into the journey, you know, there's a lot of focus on football and everyone sees the end goal, everyone sees the glory, um, or they realise the pain when, you know, their sons, their daughters haven't been accepted into the environment and get released and rejected and I know what that feels like you know so we wanted to take everyone from all different angles from a perspective from inside the football clubs from coaches from uh, psychologists from current players from former players from players that didn't make it so that we could give an overall view of what it's like in the environment with with rather than go down any one angle uh, you know because before what I've heard is the negative stories and everything is negative or I've heard the positive stories and everything's positive and I think what we've managed to do is break it all up into different areas and and honestly I I sit here not only very proud of the contributions but very proud to be able to present it to a wider audience um, so that they can hear the journeys and resonate with a lot of them as well. Leanne, we're going to come to your journey a little bit later on but you were thrust into the limelight at a very early age and you made your debut for Arsenal at just 14. So to, to take us back to you as a, as a 14-year-old, not inside Arsenal, but your life outside. Yeah, unfortunately, we, we, it was quite a while ago now, Hugh, unfortunately. <laughs> but, I mean, I remember it like ago. it was yesterday, though. I really do, because I was fortunate enough, you know, I signed for Arsenal when I was nine years old. Mm. And I feel like they treated me exactly like they would treat a male player. 
And I actually, when they come and scouted me in South East London, I actually got scouted as a boy because I played for an all-boys team. And it wasn't until I got closer to the outside of the field that they were like, actually, she's a girl. And I've told this story many, many times, but I went to Highbury, had my first trial, and it was so great to be around fellow females in that situation. And, you know, because I'd never seen another girl really play football other than myself. But I think, you know, being 14, going into the first team, it was a fantastic feeling. And I went to school the next day. You know, I came in against Fulham. Um, it was at Cole Shorten, actually, Athletic. And I went on, you know, in about the 70th minute. We were 4-0 down against Fulham. And at that time, Fulham were fully professional. And um, I scored. And it was on Sky Sports News that night. And I remember I got home from the game. And then I had to get ready and go to school the next morning. And, you know, I was back in school. So it was like, you know, I felt supported at Arsenal. I really did. Because my journey at that point, I had a few games in the reserves. But then I kind of, you know, went all the way to the top pretty quickly. Mm. We're going to come to what it was like. Uh, something listening to the three programmes that stood out for me was the identity of players away from the club, especially as young children and how they're seen in their local area and by their families. And it is very much the footballer, you know, whoever it might be, Dave or Sarah, the, the footballer, their entire identity, not just linked to playing football, of course, but as soon as they sign that contract, a player for that club and everyone waiting for them to make it. And in particular for those that didn't, just how that affected them in terms of their their identity. But we're going to come that. I'm going to come to that and explore that with you a little bit later on, because Troy, you felt something similar to that as well. In that you were a young player in football. You've also had it from the other side as as a parent, of course, of of Andros. Um, but but you as a young player had to chart your own journey you didn't have a family who were taking you through football and maybe you didn't have the support that that Leanne was talking about at Arsenal what was it like for you you know it's it's, it's funny it's it's a great question because I felt everything was going okay so you know I, I joined Millwall at the age of 14 I remember my debut like you did Leanne Aston Villa we won for two. Sorry to all the Villa supporters, but we were we were good, and I enjoyed the experience. Enjoyed scoring a goal, and but I had no one to share that with. So apart when I left the arena, so the coaches and everyone was obviously really happy with me. But when I left the arena, I didn't go home and tell my brother and my mum. They just weren't interested. So, but at that time, I didn't feel that I had to because I was on a personal journey. Um, but. The likes, the players in my team that were also my Sunday team, Teddy Sheringham, his dad was everywhere. So I thought he was part of the coaching staff. I I actually thought that Teddy's dad was part of the coaching staff. And then I realised that he wasn't. He was just there for support. And he was the person that drove him everywhere and made sure he got to every um, ground and training session that he needed to be. I never had that. And so the impact of being released hit me massively because that thing you talk about, Hugh, about identity... I wasn't known for being academically bright in school. I was known for being the best footballer in school. And when you are the best footballer, you're put on a certain platform mm. and that, that identity raises because after your name, Troy, it is the footballer. Mm-hmm. When that was taken away from me, it was the biggest crushing blow I've ever felt in my young life. And it was a blow that I felt that I'd not truly recovered from until I started talking about my experiences and in talking about my experiences, I realised that it resonated with other people that I was talking with as well. But I know now that I suffered mentally. I didn't know then. I wasn't. I, I don't know what was happening to me, but I withdrew. I shut the door. I weren't, didn't have the same friendship circle. All those kind of things. And mm. I think those are the things that many 
you know, the stories that were told um, definitely would resonate right across the board here tonight. I think as well, like, obviously on the flip side for myself, I was always very lucky. My mum and dad were at every single game, probably similar to Teddy Sheridan's dad, yeah. you know, because it was almost like my mum was the kit manager of my centre of excellence team in the academy, very much in amongst it. And my mum and dad were the kind of parents that would pick everybody else up you know, whether get our car, drop someone off or pick them up, wherever it might be. And, you know, they used to drive all the way from South East London for like three hours to take me to, you know, Garston, Watford, wherever it might be. And you just expect that of your family because you think, oh, they're supposed to do that. As, a, then, chi- as a child. As a child you do. And you get older, you think, actually, my dad used to change his hours at work to be able to take me to football. Like my mum would be on a train at seven o'clock in the morning on a Saturday. But then I also saw teammates that were good enough, but on the other side didn't have that support that I had. Mm. So then they didn't really make it as far as they probably could have because they didn't have that support like Troy was saying you know coming home not being able to speak to someone about it mm. you know if you can have a guardian you can, it doesn't have to be a mum or dad it could be anybody but just having someone you can communicate your feelings with is really important Yeah. after the break we're going to delve into Leanne in particular your career as a young person and that that thing that that identity that I mentioned a few moments ago but uh, Troy let's get the cards on the table nice and early your view you've worked in football since your time being in the academy you've seen your children in academies you work with young players now through your role at kick it out of course how would you describe in your opinion football academies in 2021 professional football academies in England very simple there's some great practice there's some indifferent practice and there's some poor practice and we need to make sure that we connect the three elements. What does good practice, indifferent practice and poor practice look like to you? Looking after the people in your care, the young people in your care. So if I'm a parent, I want to know that my son or daughter is being looked after in a, in a way that is suitable towards their needs, um, providing them with every element of what a football academy should. It's like a, a, a glorified school, isn't it? You know? The indifferent practice, uh, there's, there's not a lot of support for clubs lower down the, the, the echelon of the leagues as well. So we must acknowledge that, that they don't get the same funding. They don't have enough people working in the environment to provide that kind of care and attention that is required. And often someone has got a multiple role that includes the, the oh, you've got to look after the young, you know, the young players as well. Bad practice is literally only caring for the big players in your squads. That's bad practice. That means that you're stockpiling. That means that actually you're not caring about everybody else. And so the emotional well-being support that should be in place is not in place and is an afterthought. And I would never label that at any club, but it happens. And that's why we've got to get the free married up and provide that support with financial support, by the way, to enable clubs to employ the people to do their work. And we're going to speak to players later on as well, players who've left the academy system about the support that they received from clubs after they were out of there. Of course, whether they were big players or the not so big players in the squad, how they were treated in the system, but also out of the system as they exited. I want you to share your views on it, whether you're a player, whether you're a parent, whether you're a coach. Uh, give us a text, 81089. You can call, of course, 03717 You can tweet us at TalkSportKO. Share your experiences of professional football academies. This is TalkSport. I think, yeah, the only thing that kept me going, it was the fact that I loved football so much. I loved football so much and I had faith in God that this is what I was called to do. Those two things, for me, it was like, that's it. That there is no other option. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know where it's going to be. This is, this is my, I was willing to go anywhere. 
anywhere because of what football meant to me and how how my heart was set on it. That was the voice of Crystal Palace's Eberichi Eze, who plays a big part in our documentary series, It Was All a Dream, The Football Academy Journey. Look it up, give it a search, It Was All a Dream, wherever you listen to your podcast. It's absolutely brilliant. You'll hear from the likes of, as I say, Eze, but Ben White, Andrew Robertson of Liverpool. You'll hear from Chris Ramsey and Les Ferdinand, Stephen Colker, and many, many more, and so many in, in key roles at clubs in England, the Premier League as well, telling you exactly all about I think the the academy process at professional clubs and I think if you've got a child or a relative in it if you're a coach and you want to be involved in it it was definitely a must listen you're listening to kick off on talk sport with myself Hugh Wizencroft also here the former England striker Leanne Sanderson and the head of player engagement at kick it out Troy Townsend um, and we want to hear from you if you're if you're mum dad uncle guardian whatever it might be older sister and you take a player to a club uh, regularly, you're involved in academy football. What's your experience been? Good and bad? We want to hear from you totally anonymously. We don't need to know the club. We don't need to know the name. We just need to know what your experience has been like. You can drop us a text as well, 81089. Uh, you can tweet us at TalkSportKO. Of course, the number to call, 03717 But I want to talk to you, Leanne, next about your football experience. And I think the women's game might be slightly different. I don't know. You tell me in terms of, especially over the years, maybe now it's it's very professional and we see the names in lights and we see the big games coming up in the Women's Champions League and there's much more coverage, especially over the last five years, maybe something like that. But but before, were you prepared for what you went into at the age of 14, you know, making your debut very quickly, becoming an England international? Yeah, I personally think I was, um, but I know other people that... I look at it from two standpoints, right? Because I was at Arsenal from the age of nine. I was always treated really well. I can't sit here and say that I wasn't. You know, I had media training with England at St George's Park. We were treated well, but then I know there's other players on other teams that didn't have that same luxury. I was lucky that I was at Arsenal. They were way ahead of the game. Arsene Wenger, David Dean loved our team, and they gave us the same as the men, right? Sometimes there was a few things, but... Having said that, in 2007, when we won the quadruple, I had teammates that were working in the laundry room, you know, cleaning the men's kits. So to put things into perspective of where the game is at now, it's grown. But I think it's also important to remember the players that have paved the way because I said I've had the best of both worlds. You know, I've gone from training twice a week at Highbury or at the Emirates or wherever we were to then like training every single day. And I think there's a transition in that because people have gone from being teachers, you know, a lot of people work within the game coaching to then being full time. And I don't know if people are fully prepared for that. And you touched upon it earlier, Hugh, about the identity. It's like, when I'm Leanne Sanderson, the professional footballer, it's like, oh. But then it's like, Leanne Sanderson, the pundit, doesn't have the same ring to it. And you almost, I have to get you, I had to get used to that. Does that make sense? So mm. I don't think anybody has helped me transition into a, being a former player and having that, you know, because around my local area, it was always, oh, there's Leanne, she plays for Arsenal. And that was my identity, you know, for a long, long time. We're talking 20 plus years. But I have to get, I had to get to a point where I was okay not playing football anymore and being Leanne Sanderson, the ex-footballer, because that was my identity in school. The teachers loved me because I played football. Mm -hmm. It makes the school look good, you know. And it is one of those things, like, I used to go to an all-girls school and the boys used to come from the local boys' school and be like, oh, there's Leanne, she plays for Arsenal. Mm -hmm. So it was a nice feeling. But then I don't think after football, there's that, you know, that's there's that support. Because I was very lucky I was at Arsenal. I never really went through a lot of rejection. I think in England, I got rejected a lot of times based mm -hmm. upon, you know, whatever they decided to do 
base it upon that time, whether it be fitness, but that's all based upon opinions. But mm. I don't think there was ever a time where I had that support when I stopped playing. Do you know what I mean? Because mm. sometimes I found that I wasn't playing for England on social media. I remember one time I, would, I didn't get picked for England and it was on Twitter, I found out. Mm. So those are the things that I think you need more support with. But I do think some of my teammates back in the day, they didn't have that support. There's something that stands out to me in women's football at the moment that I think is quite unique in that there are many people who, as you say, leave a career doing something else. It might be at the age of 18, 19, 20. They suddenly go from an everyday, if you want to call it that, everyday job to being a professional footballer. But it might be on a one, two year, three year contract tops. Not really like men's football at the moment signing five, six year deals Mm -hmm. for most players. And for me, it seems like a huge risk. We all know that, of course, it's the dream and you want to go into it. You've got that contract offer. You want to take it up. But I can't imagine the feeling of at the end of that two year period, either what's happened in women's football, the club goes into administration, maybe goes goes bust or that you're just let go. And you're not let go to like most footballers who are playing in a top division in whatever country it might be to go to another club and sign elsewhere. You're then released back into your previous life, which must be very hard to take. Have you have you experienced other players? I think something that that just I thought about while you were speaking, Hugh, was when I was injured four years ago and I tore my ACL meniscus in my knee. um, You then, you know, I got my contract taken away from me in America because it works six months on, six months off. You no longer get a salary in America. That's how it works, you know, when you're not playing. So then you think nobody wants to know you. And then it wasn't until Juventus took that chance with me when I was injured that then everybody was like, oh, we want to sign you. But that year and a half where I didn't have, you know, hardly any money, You know, I had all my savings based upon playing in the World Cup. But, you know, we got um, good bonuses for getting in 2015, but then we got tax 40%. So we were all like, what? What's going on here? Because that was more money than most of us would ever make Mm. in that particular situation. So I think sometimes, I think my injury made me reassess my life, to Mm. be honest. And I think some things that happen to you that you think are really, really bad can almost be a blessing in disguise because it now allows me to work in this job that I'm doing now and I love it. Have you met many players from the women's game, Troy, in your current career who are maybe finding it, a bit like I just mentioned, a difficult thing to do unless they're really embraced at a top club? You know, that decision to leave your everyday life, to go and and sign in professional football and and how it works when they're released? No, I think the the women's game is still growing and so the stories that we've managed to capture around, you know, the boys developing and the points where they were released are not really coming out in the women's game as such. And I think that's part of it because when we spoke to the WSL manager, Tony Fretwell, he kind of designed it as, you know, the the game is on a journey. You know, it's on a journey. It's at this development stage. We're looking at, uh, you know, centres that how we can make them more look like and, and parallel to the boys' academy structure. But they're not in that space yet. And we've got to understand and appreciate that the women's game the girls' game is not at that stage yet. And hopefully, with the the influx of the money that's coming into the game, it will mirror the boys' system. So I go in and educate in the academy environment. I don't go into the women's game and educate because they're not in that space yet. Mm. But hopefully, in, in a period of time, they will be. Yes, I have spoken to some players privately who have said, yeah, I can't do the journey to be able to get to the academy, to be able to even show them that my qualities would be Mm. worth them spending a little bit of money on me. But those people that I speak to probably think that they've still got half a chance. But Troy as well, there's more, there's not to say men's football's better than women's football and stuff like that. I'm a woman, obviously, but there's more competition in the men's game. You know, it was only myself around my local area that wanted to be a professional footballer as a female. And that, 
female professional league didn't even exist. And I think you're right in what you're saying. I think we'll see now girls are now watching the players on TV. Yeah. They're like, I want to be like them. Because when I was growing up, there was no real female role models. They were out there, but I could never visibly see them. Whereas you see girls now, you know, being able to watch their heroes on the television. And I think we'll start to see in the next five to ten years that you will be having those conversations yeah. with the younger players because they just, they're not around at this moment in time, are they? They're, they are around, but I think the pool of quality is so much smaller than in the men's game. And the money. <laughs> Share with us your experiences of both boys and girls academies. If you've got a child that you know, or maybe it's your own, who's in an academy right now, tell us the pros and cons, the goods and bad, how it's affected your child positively, maybe negatively, but we want to know the ins and outs of being in an academy right now in England. 03717 Up next, we will hear from a former Liverpool academy player who his life turned on being released from a football club. You will not want to miss that. But remember, a little bit later on, after nine o'clock, we'll move on from this. We're going to hear from Sam Allardyce, the former Newcastle boss. He's got a few bits of advice for Eddie Howe. We'll also be hearing from the England manager, Gareth Southgate. Stay with us on TalkSport. to a special edition of Kickoff here on TalkSport. I am Hugh Wozencroft and we are discussing football academies and your experiences of them all off the back of our great three-part documentary series It Was All A Dream, The Football Academy Journey. Make sure you have a listen to that wherever you get your podcast from. And we want to know from you what your experiences have been like inside and outside football academies, whether you were released and whether you were supported afterwards then please let us know all about it. You can get involved on 03717 Give us a text as well, 81089. Uh, you can tweet us at TalkSportKO. Did you, you chose the music for this, did you? Try? I must have done. I thought good, you were just it? rapping, Hugh, when it came in there. I was like... <laughs> <laughs> was, I, was that to the beat? Yeah, I, I did I, give, a, pl- I I did give a playlist, so yeah, I'm, I'm pleased. Tune. Okay, so you did give a playlist. So, okay, so Mr Townsend, Troy Townsend of Kick It Out has given his music tonight. We're also alongside the former England striker, Leanne Sanderson, as I say get involved in the conversation loads of you giving us a call we'll come to them very very shortly but up next we want to speak to Darius Waldron he's a former Liverpool Academy player he joins us live on TalkSport good evening Darius good evening just tell us your journey your experience of being in a football academy you were at Liverpool is that right yeah that's correct Um, started off as a 12 year old did six years and I found myself in a youth team eventually down the line and uh, things were going really good and then kind of fell into that bracket, really, of um, just another person that, you know, just surplus to requirements, um, not really much help and, you know, moving around or when I left. And then ended up just becoming a number and moving to America and coming back and carrying on my life like that, really. When you were at Liverpool, who, who were you playing with? What was the communication from inside the club about what kind of career you could have? Um, well, I was involved in the 96, 97 age group. Um, most notable players probably today are probably Harry Wilson, uh, the likes of Ryan Kent. And I, we had an amazing group. We had a, a you know, the big percentage of us were uh, thinking that we were going to go on further. And a, a lot of us did. Um, and unfortunately, I just, you know, obviously there were surplus to requirements and didn't quite make them grade that I, that I thought I should have. What happened when you were released? How was it communicated to you? Um, poorly, should I say? Um, as you know, as I've spoken to some of my colleagues back then, 
it was at the start of my youth team, I was pretty much told that it was that was pretty much the end of it at the beginning and that I'd probably have to go and look for a new club uh, only a couple of months after joining, really. So, a bit of a sucker punch, but it's had to get on with it. Uh, Troy, do you want to come in here? Yeah, Darius, how are you doing? How are you doing, Troy? Yeah, not too bad. Listen, you know I, I know the journey and story after being released, but I think it's important for our listeners to try and understand what happened to you uh, on a fateful night as well that led to your life changing forever. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as I say, you went to America. Uh, I was meant to do a four-year scholarship, but I ended up coming home a little early as I wasn't really happy with the team and stuff and, and position out there. So came back and then um, I went out for a, a mate's birthday. So, uh, something turned into nothing and we got caught up in this kind of melee in the middle of the street. Um, just pulling, helping my friend, pulling him away. He was being attacked and then um, ended up being arrested for uh, violent disorder. Um, a big altercation had taken place inside a nightclub that I was, had nothing to do with and all of a sudden I was dragged into a case um, had nothing to do with, and then eighteen months after that, when I thought you know working and I thought just lost Darius's line. We'll see if we can get him back in a few moments. Really time. getting to the important part. Yeah, well. yeah, yeah. But um, but it's an interesting one, isn't it? Just being released from a, a football club and it not being uh, Darius. Can you hear us? Are you back? Yes, got you there. Sorry, you were telling us about uh, uh, eighteen months after the, yeah. the melee. So eighteen months after the melee, you know, I've been working. Uh, living my life and I was pulled back in for a court date and I thought I'd be in work the next day and never came home and ended up serving a 20-month sentence and changed my life upside down, really. Darius, just speak to us about that impact of, you know, having to spend your life in prison. One minute you're going to be a professional footballer or the hope is to be and then you spend time in prison. Um, I mean, unreal, really. It was never in in my path, never in my story. Just a normal lad uh, from the middle of Manchester raised really uh, really well by my mum and sisters and you know years and years spent at you know one of the, the highest level academies in this country um was never in the never in the past so to you know be having been working ever since i've come out of the game and um you know go go to court and then go back to go to prison which i've you know was never in my path and it was it was one of the scariest things that i ever encountered but it definitely made me a stronger person and um i've learned some things that i never thought of, never would have learned or should have should have learned, but yeah, the very negative, very negative impact on my life during the time, and uh, I am here now, almost two and a half years on, and everything's much different now. But it absolutely changed my life upside down, and I'll never forget it. Yeah, Darius, it's Leanne here, and thanks for sharing your story with us. I just wanted to touch upon something you said earlier Pleasure. about how it was communicated with you. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what you think they could have done better in that situation? Obviously, it's not nice hearing anything like you, they don't want you to play for the club anymore. It's never going to be taken yeah. easier, but I think there's ways of doing things, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I just signed my uh, youth team contract at Anfield as a 16-year-old boy, and I've been there for four years now, and I was a a mainstay in the team and a you know a well-known name in the academy, um, doing really well. And uh, a few months in to my you know my first year, say a couple of months in, should I say, we went on a prayer a tour uh, to Ireland, and we went. And one of the coaches has pulled me to a side, and I was only 16 still at the time. And he said, you know, we've we've always signed your deal and stuff, but I think it's going to be like the end of the road for you, and you'd probably be looking for a new club. So obviously, I was very shocked having signed a, a two-year contract. Um, and I was really shell-shocked. Yeah, and, and that was just by the side of the field, the, you said, or when you was getting on the bus? It, it was during, um, during a, a film meeting that we took place just prior to the tournament as we were preparing for the games. And just took us high by a coach. Um, I, you know, I knew him well. He was, he, he was involved in the setup heavily and he just pulled me to his side and said that, you know, 
it's, it's not looking good for you this year and you, you might want to look for some uh, alternate situations. But it's, it's hit home hard, obviously. Uh, can I ask you about the support, though, that you did get from Liverpool, especially when you ended up in prison? The club did do something positive for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they, they'd heard that, I'd, you know, I'd gone to prison and, as, as I said, I was, a, you know, a, a well-recognised name as a, as a kid when I was at the academy and um, I, I was sat on my, you know, sat in my cell one day and somebody turned up with it from the club um, and it was the head of the education and welfare, which to my surprise and I had a great, had a great relationship with him um, back when I was playing for Liverpool, and you know he wasn't really involved too much in the football side, um, and you know things probably could have ended a little different for my situation there as well. But uh, yeah, to my surprise, I, I you know Phil turned up uh, my old my old coach, and um, you know really shone a positive light on on my situation, and just reminded me who I was and and what I was, and you know reminded me that this was never never my path, but to embrace it and learn from it and. And you know, change the situation from a negative to a positive. Darius, I don't. If you don't mind me asking, uh, you had an identity as a footballer, one that was hopefully going to be not only signing at Anfield, but then running out at Anfield, representing one of the biggest football clubs in the world. Yeah. When you lost that identity, what did it feel like? Um, it felt. It felt strange. Um, you know, as I say, I'd only been there since twelve year old, but. Football was my whole life, and once I was in that change room with them boys, you know, some of them are friends for life, and um, you do meet, you know, <laughs> many, many people, not just at the academy, but going on tours and travelling and stuff, and, you know, what, what, once <laughs> once it all comes to an end and stuff, and um, I find myself in a situation where I've, I've got to go and do something totally different that I've never trained for, you know, I've, it's been my whole life as a kid, it's... It's the raven, really. You know, you you end up on a on this route of you know of the unknown, and you're not sure what you're going to be doing. But you have to pluck up the courage from somewhere and put the character from yourself to pick yourself up and find out what it is your purpose is. You know, being here on the planet, so you, you can't let it beat you. You can't let it get you know beat you to the floor and and make that your your end journey. You really have to go for it and, and find other solutions because no one else is going to argue to them. Uh, I don't know if you've got kids, Darius, but listening to the documentary, um, there are a lot of parents sharing their views on, on academies. And, and we, we've spoken to Trevor Sinclair, we've spoken to Troy, they share their views about their own children. Would you, having been through the academy system at Liverpool, would you want to see one of your children get into professional football and go through an academy? Um, going back to the first thing, you said yes. I've just uh, my, my son's around nine months old now so in the very early stages of his life but something else has changed my life completely becoming a dad and um i would and to answer your question i would say yes i would like him to go down that route probably because it's not just once you once you're in a, on the route of professional football as a child and you're in that you know that elite one percent development i got really lucky and i was in a, a category a academy for for years so once i was going through that it wasn't just a, my football education that was really benefiting it was the, the person that I am today, the, the human skills that were also taught. You know, whilst I was on that path of becoming a footballer, it is many things that we need to be learn and become, not just to make us better footballers, but make us better humans as well. And I would say that, that that's one thing that, you know, I really, I really grasped and, and learned many things along the way in the academy, and it's something that I'd love for my son as well. 
Darius Waldron, former Liverpool Academy player, thank you so much uh, for coming on to Talk Sport and sharing you. your experiences. Really appreciate it. Best of luck with everything. Thanks, Darius. Maybe, Thanks, Darius. maybe we'll Take see care. a Waldron in a Liverpool shirt. Nine months old. Got, got a time to wait, but you know, you never know. Uh, listen, that was one of the key, I think it's an important story. You know, it's a varied story, positives and negatives about his experience and things that have happened in his life. But great to hear that Darius has, has put things into a positive light at this point. I'm never amazed by young people that have been through negative experiences, by the way, and how they're able to share and, and, and comment on those negative experiences. So, you know, not long after being released and having your dreams smashed, you then find yourself in prison, you know, and but you then come out of that and, and the person that you become... Listen to the way that he spoke to us. Listen to the the way that he still embraced the academy journey by talking about the values that it gave him and how it made him a better human being and that he wouldn't shy away from, you know, his his young son entering the, the journey as well and embracing it slightly differently maybe than what he did. That is everything about how to turn your life around and, and how to create a positive out of a negative for me. And I think it, just listening to again again made me well up a little bit if you want me to be totally honest because yeah. it's a fantastic story and uh, I say fantastic in inverted commas because of what some of the story entails but just amazing. I think something that really resonated with me was the fact that when you're a footballer that is your identity but at the same time how you find out things is so impactful and that's why I asked him that question yeah. because that's something that lives with you forever. You know yes he just signed a two-year contract thinking doesn't mean he can you know put his feet up and not work hard because I'm yeah. sure he's working hard but to be going into like a meeting and being told you're not you know your dream has been taken away from you and then to put on like a brave face in amongst your teammates I've had to do that before not that I've been released from a club but situations have yeah. happened and you know you don't want to be seen to be a bad teammate yeah. or a bad egg or anything like that. But the way these managers do things is so impactful on your life. And I think I've learned to not have one person's opinion be the factual Defining, thing that I take. Yeah. Because I used to believe my manager was like a god. Do you know what I mean? I think whatever he or she was saying, that's literally the truth. When actually it wasn't until I went to America. I had great experiences at Arsenal. Mm. Don't get me wrong. But it wasn't until I went to America that I felt like I'm finally free. Yeah. And I'm able to be the individual I want to be. Share with us your experiences on TalkSport this evening. 03717 We will come to your calls on the Football Academy journey next. The day I got released, it was hard. I went home, you know, I cried. Uh, you know, I, I made sure I surrounded myself with the family. And then, you obviously, the next day you go back into school. So, you know, I was embarrassed. Not embarrassed, but I felt a bit embarrassed going back into school and having to tell my friends and stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? And you didn't want to tell them the bad news because, you know, you know what you're like. You're a 15-year-old boy and you don't want to show, you know, any weaknesses and you want to play for Celtic. What a journey that man has had. Andrew Robertson, the Liverpool fullback, released by Celtic, Queen's Park, Dundee United, Hull City, and a Champions League winner, a Premier League winner, a Club World Cup winner. But even he can tell you that the academy journey is not always easy. And he plays a big part. Again, a great interview that he has done as part of It Was All A Dream, the football academy journey. Just search for that wherever you listen to your podcast. Three parts, three great parts. Uh, this is Talk Sport. This is kickoff with myself, Hugh Wisencroft, the former England striker, Leanne Sanderson, and kick it out, Troy Townsend. And we want to get your views on football academies, your experiences, whatever they might be, 03717 completely anonymously, don't even need to know what club, but we do want to hear your stories, whatever they might be. Um, 
uh, Troy, let's quickly talk about your your own journey as a parent now. We heard about you as a player a little bit earlier on. Um, and your son, Andros, who, of course, was released from Arsenal very early on and very nearly Spurs as well. Let's have a listen to Andros, who, of course, is now a midfielder at Everton and England. I just remember I was trialling, felt like forever. I think it was about a year so I was just trialing. They liked me, but I think at the end of it, pretty much what they said to everyone else at the time, I was too small. I was too slight to make it at Arsenal. So yeah, that, that, they were my memories trialing for Arsenal. So when they said you were too, I, I, listen, I remember us as a family, but when we kind of, when you kind of got the news, did it affect you? Did it impact you at all? You were only young. I don't think it did because at the time it wasn't about, oh, my career's over. What am I going to do now? Because I was such a kid. It was still about the enjoyment phase. So probably just went back to playing with Ridge Ray, enjoying it. And then Spurs, the Spurs opportunity came. There was a time at Spurs, wasn't there, where John Monker kind of said, ah, I'm not quite sure he's got a desire to make it in the industry. Do you know what I mean? And then I'm not even sure that we told you that in such a sense. Did it ever cross your mind? And particularly when mum took you then back to Spurs on the Thursday and the kit man said, oh, what's he doing here? Yeah. Was you aware of all of that? Yeah, I remember we were sat in the car because I was playing the age above for most of that season. So it was weird that we got in the car after training and mum had told me I'd been released. I thought it was a joke. For about five minutes, I thought it was a joke. And then she said it was obviously true. And for that 24-hour period between that and then obviously being told to go back to train, um, probably that was the first time where I felt that I had failed and my dream was over and, and what have you. But that 24 hours when I thought my dream was over, that was that was, um, that was heartbreaking, as you would imagine, any kid who's dealt with rejection. Uh, that is Everton's Andros Townsend, uh, son of Troy, who is with us here tonight, uh, talking about his experiences during his younger years as a in, in, in a football academy. Um, what was it like seeing your son go through that journey, having those setbacks, you know, great rewards at the end when he eventually did make it? Would you put him through it all again? Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> you would do because of... Listen, I'm a football man. I viewed his talent. I knew that he was a talented young man, um, even at the age of eight. And when Arsenal decided that he wasn't going to be tall enough to play professional football, that's not an excuse to release a young player. So we embraced it. He went back to Ridgeway Rovers, uh, obviously established club in East London, uh, played a few more games. Spurs come knocking on the door. So all of a sudden, the Ridgeway team is actually half of it is the Tottenham Hotspur team. So And David Beckham. And David Beckham <laughs> and Harry Kane. Um, he goes in and he fits in straight away. So the journey was made. The next stage, which he speaks about, was going in with the Tottenham Academy manager and him telling me, it's the first really conversation I had because I just used to watch the games. I didn't really get involved in, in any of the conversation. I used to stand right down the bottom. Let's be serious. Any parent knows this. There's 22, 18 or how many players on the pitch. You're only really interested in one and you're watching your son. And and the 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 conversation went that we're not sure about him. Uh, we're not sure he has the desire to make it. Now, this is a football club that's not seeing the boy take the ball into the back garden and do, going from 50 kick-ups to 400 kick-ups, you know, controlling the ball, the manipulation of the ball. Uh, going out on his own with a bag of balls, jumping over the, 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 the field next door and smashing balls into the goal. So give me something different than desire. But, but we do you not think, though, Troy, that sometimes this is my problem with managers that I've had as well. They can't just say, you know what, 
we prefer that player to you. Yeah, I'd rather them just say that yeah. because they try to find all these different excuses, but then they, those excuses stay with you. Yeah, you know, yeah. I've had managers tell me, you know, you're not fit enough, you need to lose weight and things like that. And I think to myself, that's actually really hurtful. Yeah, do you know what I'm trying to say? Like, mm. and it doesn't, it stays with you. And that's something that, and another manager says, no, you look great. You look, you're in good shape. So it's like, but then those things are the things that stay with you and can really play with your mind because I think you're you're his dad, so you're going to know he has that heart and desire. Yeah. And I'm sure he had heart and desire when he was there, but they're going to find an excuse when I'd rather them just turn and say, you know, we prefer he, he or she mm. over you. Mm. And that's the bottom line, but they just don't. There's a really important piece, um, Chris Ramsey and Les Ferdinand talking about the coaches yeah. at Queen's Park Rangers and saying that they've made a concerted effort to educate their coaches to always be realistic with the parents and give them direct feedback that correlates to what they're seeing. Never tell them that their son is perfect. Never tell them that their son is playing great and then all of a sudden it hits them really hard when they are released. They need to be honest and say when there are shortcomings as well as when they're playing well. We did something additional. So when Andros was at Spurs, he was also training at Paul Elliott's Academy, which Spurs didn't really like. But he was getting something different that actually encapsulates what you've kind of said there, Hugh. He was also going to Cova training on a Friday night. So everyone knows that Cova is about manipulation of the ball, skills and everything. Everything that he wasn't getting in the environment at Spurs. So the day after we had that conversation with John, after I had that conversation with John Moncur, he was playing for Paul Elliott's Academy that night. And he got a hat-trick that mm-hmm. night. And that was the confidence that we, you know, don't worry about it. If they going to release you, don't worry. He went back into Spurs and John McDermott, John Moncur was gone. And John McDermott was the new academy manager. So it may be fortunate, mm. but, you know, the likes of Chris Ramsey all of a sudden came into his life. And I'm not being funny. They were a much more professional setup who really had that player focus, that real concern about the player focus in their thought process. And it's something that I think every club should really focus about how they talk to young players, how they discuss Mm -hmm. the journey with parents. Leanne, you will know that probably more than me because you've been in that. We want your views on it. We're going to get to your calls very shortly. 03717 There's no real question here. It's just open. Share your experiences of professional football academies in England on TalkSport. 